All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Denver Nuggets defeat the New Orleans Pelicans. Well, they're without Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and guys like that, but still the New Orleans Pelicans, final score 99-98. As you see on the bottom of the screen, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to give the video a like. Uh, This was a very interesting game, and it came down to the wire, and Nikola Jokic ultimately hit the game-winning shot. Where have we seen that before? Where have we seen Denver maybe struggle a little bit on the road, but their MVP caliber, uh, well, two-time MVP gets it done, and Nikola Jokic in his return from a left hamstring injury, uh, I thought he played very well. I thought that, especially on the offensive end, that was the most important factor in all of this, just getting Denver through the game, getting Denver to a place where they could move on and uh, play the Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday night. We'll talk about that later. But this was an interesting game in that it got really ugly in the second half. Of the, in the second half, Denver scored just 36 points. In that second half, they were leading the first half 63-47, to 47, held New Orleans at bay for a little bit, but then at the end of the third quarter, you started to see signs, you started to see the Pelicans creep closer and closer and closer, and it was until midway through the fourth and then into clutch time, and it looked like Denver was going to give up this game right at the very end. They generated great shots. There's nothing wrong with the, the shots that they generated. Denver just drew, they got so dry from the three-point line. It was crazy to see. I did not expect it. Denver clearly, they needed to have at least one or two more shots go down to really make this a comfortable win. But everything came up empty towards the end, and it made this a lot closer than it was supposed to be. But Denver gets it done, and they do it in Nikola Jokic's return as he scores 25 points on 11 of 15 from the field, keeping that field goal percentage streak alive, by the way. I don't even know what that streak is at because he's missed a couple games here. But gets a triple-double, gets the game winner, the shot in question. Denver had about 20 seconds left to go. They're running Jokic-Murray two-man game at the top. Murray drags the defense over to the right side of the court. Jokic stays in the middle of the floor, receives a nice bounce pass from Jamal right in between the free throw line and the dotted line, the dotted circle, where that's Joker's best place on the court. There's no doubt about it. He has the best touch in the world from that zone, and he's very comfortable putting up a floater from that distance, and he just makes it look easy. Uh, Caught the ball off the bounce, pivots right into a nice little right-handed floater, and nobody had a chance of blocking it or even really contesting it. Murray did a good job of dragging two players away from him and leaving the middle of the floor absolutely wide open. And then Joker does what he does, calmly knocks down the shot that Denver absolutely needed and ultimately gets the 25-point triple-double. This is his fourth straight triple-double in the games that he's played, his sixth triple-double in his last seven games. Just a really, really impressive run that he's on right now. Uh, Very, very impressive stuff. Made the game look easy for much of it when he got the ball. I think Denver kind of struggled getting him the ball, at least in really good, effective spots at the end of the game. 
Uh, New Orleans was doubling a lot of the time when he received it in the post. They were trying to get the ball out of his hands, make anybody but Jokic beat them. And there were a couple made threes. There were a couple baskets that Denver had, but for the most part, Denver went dry. And it allowed the Pelicans to just get right back into the game. Defense for Joker, not good. I don't I don't want to sugarcoat that. There's definitely a lot of room for growth. I don't want to belabor the point because he might have been hampered. There's no doubt about it. A left hamstring strain that he's been dealing with, and he's not moving very well. I'm not really surprised by that. I'm definitely not surprised at all. And Denver at this stage, they've got to be cautious with him because he just played 36 minutes. They've got a back-to-back on Wednesday night against Milwaukee. I don't know, like maybe by the time you watch or listen to this podcast, you will know a little bit more than I do right now on Tuesday night. But it would not surprise me if the Nuggets were cautious with either him, Murray, or both, and we have a little bit of a different discussion about how serious that hamstring injury is. But he looked bothered by it defensively, not moving very well. He's so talented on the offensive end that it doesn't really matter, but he settled early on for three-pointers and made some curious passes that are kind of out of his character. So he wasn't perfect. I don't want to like overly credit him, nor, nor do I want to overly diminish him. He was very, very good. His standard overall, though, is, is even higher than what he produced tonight. And he had a 25-point triple-double on 11 of 15 from from the field and hit the game-winning floater. Like, the dude is incredible. There's no doubt about it. Jamal Murray, 25 points himself, and Denver needed all of those points, even if they didn't come on as efficient shooting as it did for Jokic. Uh, Jokic does a great job of really putting himself into good positions to take the efficient looks in the middle of the floor. He's perfected some of these zones really well. Murray, I thought, was really great in the first half. 19 points, four assists in the first half, zero turnovers, eight of 12 shooting, if I'm not mistaken. Just really, really efficient shooting in general. And overall, you look at the game as a whole, 11 of 21 from the field, 25 points. He didn't take any free throws, so that's where kind of the inefficiency comes from a little bit. But over 50% from the field still and had seven assists and three steals. He did have two turnovers. It wasn't the worst, like, it wasn't the worst second half of the world. It could have been even worse than this, but he did play 21 out of 24 minutes in that second half. And given that he carried a lot of the load in each of the last two games for Denver against OKC and against Indiana, both without Jokic, it would not surprise me if he's a little bit tired. If he's like playing just a whole bunch of minutes right now, hasn't sat on the back-to-backs, has been playing pretty much every single game and has really wanted to do that, is trying to get back into the habit of doing that, and you give him credit for it for sure. Unfortunately, it's definitely one of those things where Denver could definitely, and I think Murray could definitely benefit from sitting every eighth to tenth game or so. He doesn't have to prove anything right now, in my opinion. I think that he's effectively proven that he's all the way back and when he's healthy and active, like he he's as dynamic a guard as there is in the NBA outside of maybe Steph Curry and guys of that nature. So I do think that Murray got tired towards the end, played a whole bunch of minutes and had all of the 
Like we'll talk about the bench in the second segment, but I thought he had a ton of pressure on him tonight. Jokic coming back from the injury, but also Michael Porter being out, Bones Highland being out. Denver's rotations were a little bit different, and Murray was on ball for much of this game, if not all of it. So I do think that Denver could definitely benefit from sitting him on Wednesday. We will see what that ultimately looks like, but an overall good game for Murray. I do not want to denigrate what he did in the first half. He was great in the first half and really discarded a really great defender in Herb Jones. Herb Jones, he didn't even see. It was pretty clear that Murray was still trying to get switches onto other guys too, but it was just a really, really impressive performance, especially in the first half. And you get tired in the second half, it is what it is. Aaron Gordon, I thought was not good. This is the second straight game. And honestly, it feels like it's been longer than that. Although, no, Aaron Gordon was really good against Indiana. I don't want to like misconstrue that. But in these last two games, OKC and New Orleans, Aaron Gordon has not played up to the standard that he has set for much of the season. Got into foul trouble tonight, and that's why you see 24 minutes on the bottom of the screen. 24 minutes, 11 points, 4 of 7 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3, a clutch 3 in the fourth quarter. But he also went 2 of 4 from the line. That free throw percentage just keeps dropping. Like, that's... That is a not-so-great thing that we've got going on right now. But four rebounds is pretty low. I thought New Orleans did a good job of dominating the glass against Denver. Denver got out-rebounded in this game 43-34. to And part of that is starting Bruce Brown as opposed to Michael Porter. But honestly, I thought that, yeah, actually a lot of it is that. The Pelicans out-hustled and out-worked Denver made the margins really tough for Denver tonight, especially in that second half. So Gordon needs to be better. This is one where I could also see him being really tired, and he looked very tired and fatigued and frustrated out there tonight. And you give him credit for a couple of the dunks that he had on the alley-oops where Murray sets up Jokic in the pick and roll, and then Jokic lobs a pass up to the rim that Gordon finishes from the, from the dunker spot. Those are great plays, and they showcase Aaron Gordon's skill set pretty well. But other than that, and other than the three, it really did not feel like Gordon impacted the game. It felt like he was either cluttering around the rim or not necessarily defending a whole heck of a lot, and he didn't really have to do that much on defense because of the way that New Orleans is uh, is oriented. But it did not feel like a high-impact game for Aaron Gordon on either end of the floor. And that's a credit to the way that he's played for much of the season. I want to make sure to make that clear. But it does feel like he's exhausted. Like, this is me projecting. This is me trying to play a little bit of psychologist based off of what I see. But I do think that Gordon is pretty tired out there. And we're seeing just what that means for this Nuggets team, where when you don't have Porter and you don't have Bones – and then Jokic is coming back from an injury, and KCP doesn't shoot as well, and there's just a lot that kind of builds up that you need a guy like Aaron Gordon in these games to really push you over the top, and they didn't get him. So I think that is something to monitor, something to watch. Wouldn't surprise me if he sat against Milwaukee, and and Denver just goes full sit-down mode for everybody, but we'll get to that 
in the third segment, even though I keep saying that. Bruce Brown started in place of Michael Porter once again, who's still out for personal reasons. Uh, Bruce Brown, I thought, was fine. There were some good moments. There were some bad moments. I thought he was the best of Denver's defenders against C.J. McCollum. Uh, I thought that he was pretty aggressive, found good ways to be impactful, both on the ball and off the ball, was a solid rim protector with his two blocks, was a good shooter for Denver, three of seven from three, one of the only guys on Denver's team that hit multiple threes. And I give him a lot of credit. I never feel like the three is going in. I just, for whatever reason, it just I just don't know how to trust it at this point with the way that he kind of catapults it up there off of the, he generates a little bit of momentum with his lower body before whipping that thing up and then arcing it really high. But it goes in and he's shooting about 40% on the year. So it's hard to really bemoan this where three of seven from three, it's pretty much in line with his average and every shot that he hit tonight felt really, really big. So credit to Bruce Brown, uh, had a couple of good defensive moments as well. I put up zero assists on there because I thought that that was fascinating. It feels like Bruce Brown should get more assists when he's out there with Denver starters. I think that may be a credit to the Pelicans and the way that they were playing, but it seems like Bruce Brown, they used him as purely a complimentary player, not necessarily somebody who is super involved. They probably could mix him into some actions a little bit more than where he was at tonight. And finally, KCP. 31 minutes tonight for KCP. A little bit lower than what I expected from him. There was a stretch where Denver, in the fourth quarter, brought back in their starters outside of KCP. And they had Jeff Green out there and went pretty big against the Pelicans' big lineup. It didn't work because Jose Alvarado was zipping around when a guy like KCP probably could have been pretty helpful against a guy like Jose Alvarado. So I do think that if Denver does have a chance of winning tomorrow's game, it's going to hopefully involve KCP getting more involved on the offensive end, playing some good defense against a guy like Drew Holiday tomorrow. I thought he played good defense against CJ McCollum tonight and deserves some credit for his ability to switch, his ability to generate plays consistently for the Nuggets. He got another strip block tonight where he swipes his arm down and uh, right right on the ball, and he did that to Trey Murphy tonight. Maybe it was Herb Jones who was one of the two wings, uh, but just a really, really impressive play where he always finds a way to get his hand on the ball and had a pickoff lobbed up an alley-oop to Jamal Murray in transition. Just really, really great stuff from KCP just in terms of making those plays that shifted the momentum. Other than that, didn't really hit the shots that he was probably supposed to hit, but he did have four assists. So you give him the benefit of the doubt. He's still a great fit for what the Nuggets do. Despite the fact, I'm pretty sure he was the team low in plus-minus tonight combined with Bruce Brown. Yeah, minus 10. For KCP, minus 10 for Bruce Brown. The real reason that the Nuggets won this game came on the second unit, which is not something I say very often. So when we come back, we are going to talk about that bench group and everything that went into it. But first, we have a new read for our friends over at Superbook Sports. The final drive for championship is here, and there's no better place to wager on the football title tilt than Superbook Sports. 
Superbook features the best menu of prop bets in the business. Plus, check out their special odds, boosts, and promotions at Superbook.com. With over three decades of odds-making experience in Las Vegas, there's no better place to wager than Superbook Sports. Win some money as one lucky team wins the championship. Download the Superbook Sports app today. Visit SuperbookSports.com or Superbook.com, excuse me, for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back in pickaxe and roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, if you're listening on Apple, thank you so much. Apple, Spotify, Google. Can it be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the pod on there or on YouTube, where we're continuing to grow the audience here? Been really cool to see uh, several people come over, offer some compliments in the comment section. That's been an interesting thing. So I read all of them. Thank you so much, everybody, for stopping by. All right, let's get into the bench group. Let's get into the unit that Denver used in the face of the absences of Bones Highland and Michael Porter. Michael Porter, obviously a starter. Bones Highland, obviously a pivotal member of Denver's bench group. And rather than go with Ish Smith, which I expected Denver to do, the Nuggets went big. They decided, no, we're we're not going to decide between... Vlako Chanchar, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji. We're not going to decide between those guys who to play, who not to play. We're going to play all of them. We're going to move Vlako to the three. We're going to move Christian Brown to the two. And when Jamal Murray comes back in, we're going to play him as the point guard and kind of the sole ball handler of what Denver needed on offense. And it was a tale of two halves for that bench unit. It was a tale of two separate instances where Denver did really well in that first half. Everybody a double-digit positive, everybody really contributing at a high level. Uh, good defense, good runouts, finding opportunities to score in the half court and in transition. There was a lot to like with that bench group in the first half that helped Denver get that 63-47 to 47 lead. Second half, not as good. I think the Pelicans adjusted really well to what the Nuggets were doing. And they tried to get the ball out of Jamal Murray's hands. They had Herb Jones on him for much of that time. And they tried to get the ball out of his hands, hounding him, doing everything that they could to make other guys beat them. And Denver missed a whole bunch of threes. Denver missed a whole bunch of shots with that group, which not a great floor spacing group, if you ask me. I, Christian Brown at the two, not a great floor spacer. Vlako Chanchar, shooting well, but hasn't shot well lately. And missed all of his threes today, including some wide open shots. Zeke Nagy, 0 of 3 today, missed some wide open shots. Jeff Green hit a three. He was the only guy on that bench unit to hit a three, to hit an outside shot. And it does give me some it does give me some solace that despite the fact that that bench unit as a whole went six of eighteen from the field and one of nine from three, all of them. Every single one, Christian Brown, Vlako Chanchar, Jeff Green, Zeke Nagy, all of those guys were positive, even in the face of a shooting slump in that second half. So 
really good stuff overall from that group. And I think it tells a lot about what we can expect from that group if Bones Highland isn't out there. But let's focus in on Christian Brown really quick. He's the guy who I think has benefited the most from Christian Brown's ab- or from Bones Highland's absence. Uh, Michael Porter sat this last game or sat both games. So Christian Brown played in the last game too against OKC. Thought he played pretty well. And then he plays again tonight. And there were some good things. There were some bad things. I thought he mostly just played a really good game. Had some good defensive moments. Switched on to guys. Grabbed a couple of rebounds. Uh, in transition, had a run out with Nikola Jokic and had an and one in transition. Had a nice offensive rebound at the end of the third quarter right before the buzzer. That was a really, really important play. If he doesn't get that off, then Denver loses. And then I don't remember what the other basket was. But in general, Christian Brown is good enough that he should play consistently. I think Denver actually has a lot of these guys. Big Bones, Christian, Bruce Brown off the bench. Obviously, he's in a different category. But Jeff Green, Vlako Chanchar, Zeke Naji, I think all of those guys are good enough to play all the time. And when you have basically 12 players that deserve consistent playing time, it can be challenging at times. And you're, you're going to have to find opportunities to rest players, mix and match the rotation, do different things. And Christian Brown's one of those guys that doesn't need to play right now because it's not like a mandatory thing, but he will eventually get to that place where he needs to play every night. And he's good enough to warrant that probably by next year, where he is versatile enough, good enough defensively, and a willing hustler, which is probably the most important thing. Hustled up tonight and matched the energy and the pace of what the Pelicans were bringing, especially in that second half. He stepped up in that situation where I, I can I can see why. It, it almost felt a little bit more like a college game where you get a team that's bricking, you get a really, really rambunctious crowd that is just trying to will their team on. And I thought that Christian really stepped up and acquitted himself in a tough situation on the road. So that is how you earn more playing time. That is how you earn an opportunity to continue going. And it would not surprise me if he sticks in the rotation for a little bit longer, even when Bones Island returns. Zeke Naji, good stuff from Zeke, kind of. First half, Zeke Naji's defense was awesome. There's no question about that. Switched onto everybody, guarded the rim, protected, uh, protected the perimeter, and did just about everything the Nuggets needed him to do to really shut down what the Pelicans were doing offensively. The Pelicans scored 47 points, and the majority of that was against the starters. Even like pay, I, they're obviously going to because the starters just play more in general, but it felt to me like the bench locked down. And there was a really strong moment there where because of their size and because of that switchability on the defensive end, the Nuggets were able to really punish what the Pelicans were doing without their out level of outside shooting. The Nuggets switched everything, shrunk the floor made things difficult, forced the Pelicans to make some tough decisions, and Zeke Nashi was a big, big part of that. He also grabbed a bunch of rebounds, and three offensive rebounds, two of two from the from free throw line, and a block. That's just great production 
for Zeke. He came in early and played a whole bunch of minutes next to Nikola Jokic in that first half because Aaron Gordon went out with two fouls at about the seven-minute mark, if I'm not mistaken. So Zeke played about six minutes, or yeah, six minutes next to Jokic at the four before playing the five, which was one of the reasons why he had such a high minute count tonight. 24 minutes, he was the first big off the bench, and that really makes a difference, I think. He's getting into a better rhythm where you can expect that, and you can consistently go to him, and he's earning that trust at least a little by little. Now, the second half was different from the first. I thought that Jose Alvarado, in particular, really picked on him. I thought that when he got switched out onto Jose, Jose was just so quick and kind of scrappy and uh, diminutive and uh, very, very agile and somebody that a big is just really going to struggle with in general. I don't think that Najee brought the appropriate intensity for that moment. And unlike Christian Brown, who I think stepped his game up in that moment, thought that Zeke shrunk just a little bit. And so if that's what a playoff environment's going to look like, a little bit concerning, but he did play well in that first half and deserves credit for that too. So he more than just about anybody, tale of two halves. And I thought he was great in the first, not so great in the second. Let's see. Jeff Green. Actually, before I go to Jeff Green here, Jamal Murray, when you play a lineup that has Christian Brown, Vlako Chanchar, Jeff Green, and Zeke Naji, Jamal Murray had so much pressure on him. It was, it was pretty funny. Because you're always putting a guy like Herb Jones on him, because you're always trying to get the ball back into his hands and there's nobody else that's really a secondary creator with that group. At one point, Vlatko did some things, but he was on the floor with Jokic at that point. Jeff had a moment where he isolated. Christian Brown is probably going to, like, if he is going to take the next step in his career, he's probably going to have to do some ball handling, do some facilitation in those moments. He can't just be a standstill cutter kind of shooter. He's got to do a little bit more. And that is where you're hoping his growth improves just as he gets older, as he gets more more integrated into the league. Um, but Jamal, very clearly the guy with that second unit and played like it. And I thought he slowed down in that second half, but was also a really, really big reason why the bench was a big, big positive in the first half. Had a really nice step back on Larry Nance. Uh, had a really nice, uh, a couple of nice plays switching against Devontae Graham and just cooked him at times. So there's some good moments with Jamal with that second unit leading that group. And they were positive. It's the most important thing. Now back to Jeff Green. 17 minutes, seven points. The only shot that he made was that three. It was a very, very important three. Denver had passed up a couple of shots. Then Jeff Green took what was a semi-contested one on this on a possession in the first half, made it. That's really important. He's two of his last two. And if he can hit some outside shots, he is going to provide more utility for what the Nuggets need with that group. They're going to play five out a lot of the time. They're going to, maybe sometimes they'll roll with Zeke Naji, but if Zeke is rolling, Jeff Green has to space. Christian Brown has to space. Flacco Chanchar, same thing. Those guys, they can also cut. They can also move off ball a little bit. But for the most part, if you're playing middle pick and roll, 
with a guy like Jamal and a guy like Zeke, you've got to have spacers. So Jeff's three-point shot I do think is important, though maybe not as important as some other aspects of his game. If he plays good defense, then it papers over a lot of it. If he's hustling on defense, he's making good switches, he's contesting shots without fouling, that's the most important thing in my mind. Because if Zeke is always kind of on the hardest option, Jeff is sometimes going to have to switch on to ball handlers. He's going to have to switch off ball as well and really be a good communicator for that team or for that unit. And tonight he had a steal. He had an assist. He had a couple of good plays and was a plus seven. Uh, Definitely one of the featured players with that second unit. Probably the second option, if we're being honest, on that second unit. So we're going to see what that ultimately turns into. And if that's kind of a one-time thing without Bones and MPJ, or if it's just something that Denver's trying briefly. But I am curious to see what it turns into. And finally, with that bench, Vlako Chanchar only played 14 minutes, but led the team at plus 11. And I think that's more of a that is more of a story in my mind of Vlako just being on the floor when good things happened. Maybe not because. Vlaco was on the floor. Good things happened. One of five from three, or one of five from the field. The one shot that he hit was like a ten foot floater from the baseline on a weird angle. A good shot. Don't get me wrong, but very odd place for him to shoot a floater from like that and just absolutely drained it. So good for him. Uh, two points. One of five. O of three from three. The threes that he took were wide open. Just has to hit some of those. One of the guys on the bench, if it's Christian Brown, Vlako Chanchar, Zeke Naji, they combined for 0 of 8 tonight. Uh, Jeff went 1 of 1, so he was the only guy that actually hit a 3 with that second unit outside of Jamal. But Vlako's going to need to be – like I, I'm very curious to see what his role looks like because it would not surprise me if when Michael Porter comes back, Vlako's the guy that's out. Uh, they go to Bruce Brown, Christian Brown. Jeff and Zeke Naji, and then maybe flip-flop Jeff and Vlatko depending on the matchup. That would be my guess, but again, a plus 11, good things happened. You want to get out and move. You want to put guys in position to succeed. Vlatko was one of the reasons for that. Don't get me wrong. I do think, though, that it is important to notice uh, he only played 14 minutes. His minutes weren't that great in general, and I think that if you're looking for one of the reasons why Denver kind of let go of the rope in that second half, I think Vlaco could be one of them. Uh, just needs to be better in general. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, where Denver stands, where the Midwest stands. I've got a couple of other things to talk about as well, including Denver's $9.1 million traded player exception and Denver's game against the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll be right back. Final segment, pick axe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Just a reminder: I do this every time. 
The Nuggets are 34 and 14 on the season now. They've played 48 games. They have 34 left to go, which means all they need to do is win another 34 games, and then they will have a 68 and 14 record. That'll be great. Uh, uh, if, obviously, that's a joke. But if Denver goes 24 and 10 the rest of the way, which is not out of the question, then they would set the franchise record for wins. They're in that level of position where it's actually viable. It's not a crazy thing to think about. Now, they'd have to take it seriously the rest of the way. I doubt that they can go on any serious losing streaks or losing stretches and really get that opportunity. But if I had to guess, I would say that Denver gets to around 55 to 56 wins as opposed to the 58 number. But it should be well clear of like the odds that Denver had set. Uh, I think you could get good odds for them on DraftKings at 49 and a half uh, to win 50 games or more. Uh, that's pretty good numbers. Some places it was a little bit higher, but I thought it was pretty crazy that Denver was at that level when everybody knew that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter were going to come back. And Nikola Jokic is just playing the way that he's playing and is as durable as he is. It's very odd to see Jokic miss the games that he has missed, but I do think that might be something that comes up a little bit more frequently now that he is uh, getting towards his later 20s as opposed to his mid-20s. So we will see, but I do want to acknowledge the Midwest, uh, which is the Western Conference right now. I'm having the Western Conference standing scroll across the screen right now for everybody at home. I'm going to read it off really quick. The Midwest standings from 4 to 13. The New Orleans Pelicans have a 26-22 and 22 record. The Clippers are in 5th uh, behind, the, behind the Pelicans at 26-24. and 24. Phoenix is 25-24. and 24. Dallas is 25-24. and 24. Utah is 25-25. and 25. Minnesota's 24 and 25. Golden State 23 and 24. OKC 23 and 24. Portland 22 and 25. And the LA Lakers are now 22 and 26. So, what does that say? Well, the New Orleans Pelicans are the four seed, and the Clippers, or not the Clippers, the Lakers are the 13, and they are separated by four games. Four! That's like randomness in the clutch. That is the difference between 4 and 13 right now. Like if Russell Westbrook doesn't do dumb things when he's playing, or LeBron James makes a clutch shot every now and then, then the Lakers' record is going to be that much better. Or the New Orleans Pelicans, if they miss a clutch shot here or there, or maybe they get a random fluke game that doesn't go their way, then maybe they're at the 9 seed or the 10 seed or it, it just it's so drastic to me such a such a compressed western conference where sure the spurs and the rockets are horrible we don't need to talk about them sure the nuggets are fantastic 34 and 14 they have an eight game lead on the new orleans pelicans right now and they are going to finish if knock on wood they are going to finish as a top 3 seed like unless something crazy goes wrong. So, I, I again, I knocked on wood for everybody at home. I do think that Denver's in a great position. Uh, the Sacramento Kings are in third. It's crazy. Memphis is in second, but they're getting closer to 
the Kings than they are to the Nuggets right now, which is insane. Think about where that's gone lately. So it's just really, really impressive to see what the West looks like right now. And I think that leads me directly into Denver's trade deadline approach. Right now, I don't know who you consider a championship contender in the Western Conference. I don't really know who to consider there either. I think that the Nuggets should be the favorite. I think that Golden State, if they get to that place, should be considered a championship contender. There's no doubt about it. I think the Clippers, if they get healthy and if they can play consistently for like two months, they will probably get to a good place. And then maybe the Grizzlies, like the Grizzlies are a contender. There's no doubt about that either. So that's at least four. And there might be other teams that show up. Maybe Phoenix continues their resurgence back to the top. We will see. But in my mind, Denver at this stage has a couple of different ways that they could go. I wrote about this on milehighsports.com. This is a good plug for that. It's about Bones Highland. It's about Zeke Naji and whether Denver should cash in on the youth and try to get a veteran that helps them more consistently now, or to kind of stick it out with the young guys, and whether they play the young guys the same, or a little bit of a reduced amount in the playoffs, they're still going to hold on to those guys. They still believe in those guys in the long-term future that they have. So I do think that there are different ways that Denver can go about it. And with Bones, I think you're seeing You're seeing the flip side of what the good side is. You're seeing the bad side of what having a young point guard means right now. He's dealing with that left finger sprain. He was held out today. I'm not sure, like, maybe it was just purely the injury. Maybe. I had said that it wouldn't have surprised me based off of what happened in the previous game against OKC, where he went back to the locker room early. It wasn't to do with injury. It, it just wasn't. Like, he maybe got treatment while he was back there, but he was back there and wasn't supporting his team. And that to me is a big no-no. I said it on the previous podcast and I'll say it now. It's a big no-no and it means that he's in a really frustrated place. So Denver, with him, they're trying to figure out how to best develop Bones into a player that can help them win. But they also have to win in the process. And right now, the way that Denver's defending while Bones is on the court, it's really tough. It is a really tough prospect to be able to do that. And you see kind of the flip side of what happens when he's off the court with that second unit. Denver was so much better defensively this game. Now, they granted, they didn't face the toughest competition. But it did feel completely different how they were defending, the players that they were using. The rotations, the lineups, the style. There wasn't a weak point on the defensive end, at least when everybody's locked in and amped up. Even when Bones is locked in, he's going to be a weak point. He's going to be a pressure point for the Nuggets defense. And that is something that they're going to have to navigate. If his offense outweighs the defensive issues, then great. But lately, the offense hasn't outweighed the defensive issues, and Denver's trying to figure out just how long they should stick with them. It's not me saying that they should trade the dude. It's not me saying that because he's so talented. And I posted something on Twitter last night that he is so, so productive and good and 
very, very, uh, very, very good for his age. Players that are at his level of production at his age are generally really, really good players. And he just needs time. That's what he needs most of. And he'll get better going forward. I, I do firmly believe that. But whether the Nuggets have enough time for him and for Zeke Naji for, for measure, I think is of debate. There's a reason why there are rumored to get Nas Reed. There's a reason why that was out there. Because it makes sense. Because it makes sense for Denver to add a veteran that they trust. Maybe not necessarily rely on the young guy. And I get that. Denver has a very short window. And whether they sell off the young pieces for that short window or not, I can't really tell you. I have my opinions. And I think that Nas Reed is probably not a good enough player and probably not on a long enough contract to really justify trading a guy like Bones because you also alienate Zeke in the process since he barely plays after that, after you add a guy like Nas Reed. Like it's just not going to happen. So I'm very curious to see what Denver does. I don't know whether they are going to hold on to Bones. I don't know whether they're going to hold on to Zeke. I think I would default to, yes, they're going to hold on to those guys. They're not going to trade them. And the reason why is trades are hard. It's really hard to find a match. There is no perfect Zeke Naji suitor. And there's no perfect player for Denver to acquire for Zeke Naji. Like, how many players are actually better coming off the bench right now defensively than Zeke Naji? I don't know. I don't know how many that is. I know that Denver still has some concerns. I know that they are still trying to figure out just who they can trust. I think the answer right now is Bruce Brown. And that's it. Like, I don't know who else they can really go to and feel great about, which is why these rumors are happening. So if they can trust Bones Highland and if they can trust Na- or Zeke Naji, then you don't have these conversations. But I do think that they're at least looking. They're at least trying to figure out what the best course of action is because I know that you can't be walking out on the team and you cannot be like in your feelings on that. The season is too important and the team is too important for that. Everybody has like, there's just so much going on that's bigger than that. So I do think that Denver will consider it. I think that Denver will have a lot of other things that they can navigate. One of the other things is the $9.1 million traded player exception from the Monte Morris trade. I asked on on Twitter yesterday, uh, Monday, who Nuggets fans would want, who Nuggets fans in this situation would hope for from uh, coming back from a traded player exception. I got a variety of responses, but I'm going to focus on three that would not work. The first three of those Jakob Pertl and Nerlens Noel, they make too much money. I, I just want to make that clear to anybody listening or watching this podcast. Jakob Pertl, Nerlens Noel, they are outside of Denver's traded player exception because they make more than the allotted $9.1 million that you have to fit that within the traded player exception as opposed to kind of using that in addition. That's not really how it works. Jakob Pertl, Nerlens Noel, those guys are out. Monte Morris, who a lot of people referenced, and they're like, hey, would love to get back Monte Morris to be kind of that stable backup point guard option. He's also out. 
you cannot reacquire Monte Morris from the Washington Wizards this year. Now, what you can do is if Monte Morris was traded to a team and then in a separate trade traded to the Nuggets, he could be absorbed by that trade-to-player exception. That is something that could happen. And that would be hilarious if it did, because he fits right in, obviously. But I do think that that's obviously very unlikely to have another team, basically, rather than doing a three-team trade, have another team trade for him and then flip him to Denver in a subsequent deal. That doesn't make sense. It would be it would be researched by the rest of the league. There would be a lot of litigation there, and it would probably come out to a whole bunch of tampering and some uh, cap logistics that aren't legal. So that is out. Don't ask me about Jakob Pertl. Don't ask me about Nerlens Noel. Don't ask me about Monte Morris. Those guys, very unlikely to be nuggets. Now, here are some players that could be, or here are some players at least that fit within the trade-to-player exception. Mason Plumley, Andre Drummond, Nas Reed, Isaiah Hartenstein, Jared Vanderbilt, Thaddeus Young. Those are six different bigs that I just listed that are all within that $9.1 million range. Whether those teams would want a player back, whether those teams would want picks back, I couldn't really tell you. I think that Nas Reed is a pretty valuable piece. Though maybe not as valuable as somebody like uh, Mason Plumley to the Charlotte Hornets, I do think that given that all of those teams are, except for the Knicks with Hardenstein, all of those teams are on losing teams. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe those guys are available, and if Denver was interested, if they felt the need to get another big man that they trust then maybe they would be good options. Mason Plumley, you know what you're going to get. Isaiah Hartenstein, you know what you're going to get. Jared Vanderbilt, you know what you're going to get. Is he that much better than Zeke Naji right now? I don't know. I don't think so, probably. But I do think that there is some utility in a Nas Reed type or, in, or a Mason Plumley type or an Isaiah Hartenstein type. And if those guys are available for pennies or whatever the price is that Denver can actually pay, then maybe it's interesting. Maybe it's something that they should consider. I do think that Denver would get into bidding wars for all of those guys, though. Other players. Kyle Anderson from Minnesota. He would be an interesting get. He'd be a player that would be very, very fascinating. I think he makes a lot of sense. Kind of as an upgraded Vlatko. Somebody who does a little bit of what Vlatko does, where he's a little bit of a connector. Somebody who can facilitate offense a little bit, but is even more of a playmaking player as a point guard. He's basically a six foot nine point guard. Very, very slow, but very, very capable. And somebody that I would trust in the playoffs, somebody that Michael Malone absolutely would trust in the playoffs. He'd be the great first big off the bench. Wouldn't be a center, but would be very helpful. And then, uh, gosh, who was it that I mentioned? I think it was just Kyle Anderson. DeLon Wright for the Washington Wizards. They just made a deal for Kendrick Nunn. Not sure where he plays, what he does, but DeLon Wright is a helpful veteran piece who, if the Nuggets are 
not necessarily enthused about playing Bones Island in the playoffs, DeLon Wright would be a good secondary ball handler for them. He would play defense. So something to be said there. If they're looking more towards the veteran route than Corey Joseph, somebody on the Detroit Pistons, maybe not necessarily the best name to play in the playoffs, but he would fit. Hamadou Diallo, another player on the Pistons, but more of an athletic off-ball type guard where there is some logic in getting a player like him. Maybe not necessarily a perfect option, but seems like somebody that's not really in Detroit's long-term plans. Uh, Cody and Caleb Martin are very good. Uh, Both of those Martin twins are versatile complementary players who would be trustable in a playoff series, would make the right decisions, would play really well. Very similar to kind of a hybrid between Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, which if you're just wanting Christian Brown to play, I understand. But if they want another veteran in the building, then I understand that too. And then Alex Caruso. He's probably the dream sign or the dream trade chip for a lot of people where you just flip Alex Caruso for the traded player exception and maybe Bones Highland. Like that seems like a good use of that where Caruso is just such a very talented defensive player that he'd be really helpful for a team like the Nuggets. Would it be perfect? Would Denver be really small when they play Caruso, Bruce Brown, and Jamal Murray at the same time? Sure. But they have some bulldogs on that team and they have some really effective defenders. So there is some value to it if that was something that Denver wanted, if that was something that the Chicago Bulls could do. But I seriously doubt that Denver's really in the running for a guy like him. I think that Bruce Brown is close enough to Alex Caruso that probably don't really need that. But you never know. You never know. All right. Um, That is that. Those are some names. Do I think that Denver's going to make a trade? No. If it is a trade, it's going to be a minor trade. It's not going to be something for a major rotation piece that Denver's really going to add. But I do think that it's something that Denver should think about, despite the fact that they are in first place, despite the fact that they are really, really, really good. Like, I know that they're really good. That is the reason why you want to capitalize on this opportunity. If you feel like there's any question mark, then you want to fill that hole if you can. So we will see if they do. But let's look ahead really quick. Denver Nuggets versus Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday night. You're probably listening to this on Wednesday ahead of that game. You may know more about the injury report than I do, but it would not surprise me to see Jokic, Murray, Gordon, Porter, and Bones. Would not surprise me to see all five of those guys out. And if that's the case, that's a tough one. It's just a it's a tough schedule loss. You're traveling a thousand miles from New from New Orleans to Milwaukee. It's a really tough flight. And for a player like the Nuggets are a team that like they travel pretty well, but they haven't been good on the second night of back to backs for the most part. So it would not surprise me if they just sat all those guys down, punted on that game. You've got two more days off on Thursday and Friday ahead of a very important matinee matchup with the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday. Given that Giannis is back, given that Chris Middleton is back, Drew Holiday's already there, Brooke Lopez, it looks like the Bucks are finally healthy, or at least they're getting close to it. I do think that that is going to be a tough matchup for Denver. 
Second night of a back-to-back against basically the fully healthy Bucks. I mean, come on. <laughs> Denver's just not in a great place to really do that. And it's going to be hard to count on uh, Denver to give a fully like amped up effort, given what they've done already. So we will see. Maybe they change my mind. Maybe they do the unthinkable and continue to win on back-to-backs in Milwaukee. They've won in Milwaukee a whole bunch over the course of these past few years. Uh, It just seems like a place where they really flourish. So maybe that continues. You never know. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. I will be back tomorrow following the Milwaukee Bucks game. We will see if Denver can pull out something. Uh, They are not going to be favored in that one, and that's fine. But I do expect them, if those guys play, if Jokic plays, Murray plays, everybody else, if those guys play, it will be competitive. That's my feeling. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.